you know, I, I think short terms, 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, even 120 days, I think there's some metrics that they're able to improve yeah. on the people side, yeah, not the business side. Well, I think with turnover, it became so painful, That's right, post-COVID, yeah. right? So it just become became so painful that even, you know, even the companies who really, really... Sure. Um, trying not to keep it PG-13. I don't know. Don't care. To. Don't care about yeah. about their employees. They had to do something because it was it was affecting their profitability in immense ways, right? So company says, "Oh my God, we have to hire so many people. How many people are leaving? It's not sustainable. We have to do something about it." Right. F- fundamentally, we all can understand why it's happening. If yeah. there's a budget to do something like this, is there's going to be a lift, which we should talk about. Technology has lowered that lift yeah. and made it so much easier, but. There is a lift, and the lift requires multiple stakeholders. The pain has to reach a threshold yeah. where that pain is, is sufficient to now do something about it. But l- let us zoom out just for a second. Yeah. What are we doing? We're doing a recap, right, of season one. Yeah. We kind of went up to here's the podcast. It went live. And maybe we should at some point dive into certain conversations just a little further. But before, before we do that, I think it'd be kind of cool to talk about, you know, what do we learn? Because mm-hmm. we got to keep distilling, 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 because yeah. everything is so complicated. That's part of the challenge for, for strategy sessions we had yeah. last year, part of discussions I'm having. I think your the, the four pillars that you, you we crafted together, but really you led as you looked at the podcast, as you mm-hmm. you know thought about the world. You know, I lo- I'm going to list them, and we're going to just quickly chat about yeah. each one. With the so the first word. one is we said that consumerization is of the employee experiences puts the pressure on companies to do something about it. An employee emerges as the center of initiatives, right? And then the next question is, okay, so what needs to change, right? So how are we going to change what, you know, the as is and to be, right? So what are those four things? The four pillars, and I'm going to just mention them, and then we may just talk about them for a bit, and that could lead us to certain discussions I've had. Mm -hmm. That could be good examples for it. But I, I, I like the four dimensions, success, decisions, communication, and employee journey. Yeah. Right? On the success side, the I don't know if it's from to or it's past future or present future, yeah. but currently it's seen success is activities in people in the shows. Right. And we're looking to move to business outcomes. Yeah. And, and that's, I think, that's similar to what happened in the digital marketing space, right? And that's what had to change in that space for them to really get a major share of the marketing budget because they went from measuring their success by this is how many campaigns we've run, this is how many impressions we've served, this is how many clicks we've gotten, to now what are we trying to do? We're trying to people to buy, right? So how impactful is what we're doing in this specific metric, right? So I think I think uh, if you talk, you know, a lot of your guests you could hear some of them were still in an activity world. They're talking about we've done so many workshops, we've met, you know, we've trained so many people, right? And then some of them are now realizing, wait a minute, it doesn't matter how many workshops we've done. We've improved the retention, we've increased their innovation, our product launches have gone up, productivity have gone up, we're having fewer, you know, bad meetings. So I think being able to talk about hard numbers and being able to tie to specific business outcomes is going to be super critical for us to in a new world as we you know a try to build the business case and b as we try to communicate effectiveness of what we're doing 
that item alone or that first pillar of mm-hmm. people initiatives moving from activities to outcomes it's monumental yes. it's huge so you know you got brian gold from uh you know he's the head of learning and development at uh, gallagher and uh the title of that podcast is what if lnd was part of the business function where does it even sit mm-hmm. how is it sitting over there yeah. and people are 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 doing amazing work you've got phds you have those with lifelong experiences you have many that i've interviewed in the military but like these people with their amazing experiences right you've got you've got uh shahid the executive director of lnd at Teneco. what is the relationship between business goals and lnd Right. What should it be, like fo- foundationally? What should it be? I think it was Brian in his kind of, in his episode talked about his military experience and talked about the training of soldiers. How is that outside of what the objective of the commanding, you know, of the commander is? Mm-hmm. Readiness for, to engage when the time comes. I think it's an outpro- output of if now you're focusing on business outcomes, your decisions are no longer based on intuition. Mm-hmm. Your decisions are data-driven. Yes. So the second point is we're moving the uh, the decision-making changes from intuition, based on intuition, to data-driven, right? And uh, that requires a double-click because in order to be data-driven, you have to get a representative sample and sufficient sample of data. And the whole idea of thinking about, wait, is my data set representative and sufficient is completely new to the industry, right? So we're managing by the gut. This is, you know, you go to a business school, they teach, they teach you how to be a good leader. You read all those inspirational self-improvement books, you go and apply it, right? But if you look at the companies and say, hey, what kind of data would you need to segment your employee population? What kind of systems do you have? Is it possible to tie together your talent uh, with... Um, employees, with exit interviews, with trainings, with certifications, with reviews, with performance, right? Um, tie all that at an individual employee level. Like how many how many companies have uh, their sales salespeople data all the way from talent acquisition through quota attainment, mm. right? So you look at quota attainment, I'm sure they have super robust um, systems in place, but uh, how how many of them understand what happened in talent acquisition phase, recruitment phase, all of the other phases, and whether that's an impact in their quota attainment? I bet you almost none, right? So this whole idea that we need to um, we need to base our, our decisions in today's world. I think all of the good decisions we we were able to do based on intuition, we already made them, right? So for us now, or you know based on systems that are already in place, we already made those good decisions. The question, if we're going to materially improve the quality of our decision-making, and if we want to materially change our success in attaining business outcomes, we have to start bringing different systems together. We need to synthesize new data, right? We need to basically extend our footprint of the data so we can make better decisions. It's kind of fun, though. Yeah. We got it's construction. Real. It's real. Yeah. We got I have a construction happening cons- in my house. There's all, all of this happening. But, At least know, the mosquitoes are not as vicious as they usually are. Well, it could be the smoke from the fire. Oh, yes. That's, that's yes. <laughs> they're running away. Uh, I mean, as, as a you know, co-founder of an agency, right, Mably, data-driven is at its core. In fact, I think if you ask anyone involved in marketing today, 
exactly. whether it's an agency or whether it's an executive at an organization, they're going to every, everything starts with being data data driven. Mm-hmm. I think what deserves uh, just a little bit of uh, peeling the onion, that being a pillar of people initiatives, it's really data around employees merged with business data. But even on the employee side, to just pause there for a minute and say step one is to, you know, to bring it together, to unify it, what kind of data? And we're not talking about, I I think it deserves mentioning every time, not Big Brother, we're not talking about collecting more data. What we're saying here is you already know a ton. You already know a ton about this, 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 the, the employees within your organization. You understand from the payroll systems. You understand from task management, from productivity systems. Yeah. You understand the collaboration. If you're working with the Microsoft ecosystem from Microsoft Graph, like you can understand a certain, you get certain signals about their calendar. You get signals about who they're communicating with where you can start to look at individuals as networks. How do you take all this data together, mm-hmm. right? I mean, maybe you want to add some color because I think it's important to understand data in Future of People initiatives is the convergence of business data, right, with employee data of what you already know about them. Yeah. Well, and that's actually so interesting. Um, Maxoviva, right, has this ocean of information that could potentially be useful but because it's uh, not connected to all other types of data that organization you can connect some but at the end of the day um it's living in its own kind of system so it provides a lot of reports but Mm -hmm. a lot of customers that we talk to they're like we can't put in the context so i think it introduces a lot of selection bias bias Mm. right i can come up with hypothesis Mm And then go through hundreds of metrics in Microsoft Viva and pick and choose the ones that I think would help me make my case. Sure. But that's really not a scientific and systematic approach, right? Sure. So we, so, but you know, that's what a lot of customers are saying. If I could take that data, layer it over my timesheet data, layer it over my, um, you know, if it's some salesperson, right? Layer over the sales performance, quota attainment, trainings, all other things that I know about an employee, I'm going to get a really meaningful type of insight. Whereas when I'm looking at silo, um, I'm going to be able to answer the questions that I already have, but I won't know which questions to ask. I mean, and I think it'd be really cool if we even point out a couple examples. The first time I saw in uh, Viva Insights, mm-hmm. the ability to see who your influencers are, right? There's here's the percent of influencers mm-hmm. standalone. Okay, it's good, right? You understand it has impact from a perhaps cultural aspect, from be it the softer side of things. The the the, the, the oh. whoa, wow, that was cool. <laughs> You're getting the worst of that smoke here. I know it's come my way. <laughs> uh, but you layer that with potentially the productivity, or you think about retention. Yeah. And now you've got that data speaks to you. Exactly. And then there's another one that I thought was really cool, which is, you know, people that are burning out, sending emails at certain times of the day, yeah. things like that. Can you layer that with perhaps, you know, satisfaction, productivity? Can you look at that with performance data? Mm-hmm. And how, you know, what, what does that mean? How can you better understand the data and the challenge for you to solve? Yeah. I think that's incredibly powerful. Yeah. But bottom line is... Um, the culture has to shift from this is what it takes to be a good leader and this is these are the things that you need to do as a good employee into being data driven right so 
it's not just say, hey, look at this amazing product we have, right? It's understanding what is it people want to do. It's understanding what they're trying to do, right? I remember when I went to my business school, we had uh, somebody who was on um, Kodak, I think, board. And they were sitting in a board meeting and uh, they were talking about how they're, they're making the best film right now. Like their film to make pictures is the best, so they don't need to worry about it. Like they've perfected it and they had all the PhDs and they were talking about how their film technology is the best in the world and they finally achieved the nirvana that they're on top of the world, they will never be displaced. And this person I was talking to, he's like, and I'm looking at my phone, right? And I'm like, and he's saying like, we really need to be thinking about the digital, right? And those people were like completely disconnected. They're like, but we know we have the best film, right, right. right? Why would we need to worry about all this other stuff? We're like number one in the world. Right. Uh, fu- you know, funneled vision. They're they're in their own you know chamber and and how they see the world. They're yeah. reinforcing. I, I'm well familiar. I've made many of the mistakes myself. Yeah. But now I look back at it. I also wonder now how am I going to think about certain things today and say, oh my goodness, yeah. like that I was in the chamber. But that, so we've got two. We, we yeah. just talked about success from activities to business outcomes decisions from intuition to data-driven communication. You already talked about this a little bit, command and control mm-hmm. to hyper-personalized. Yeah. Right? The idea that now that you have the, you're looking at data, you now have the ability to communicate with them, you know, n- not s- small detour that I think is important for this context. You know, is customer experience more important than employee experience? Mm-hmm. And this idea that it's, it's the human experience. Mm-hmm customer over here employee over there no like how do we unify so that we're communicating with you as if you know you're, you're human yeah right so that's the third one hyper personalization is there anything you want to double click on that one um yeah i think we covered a lot of it uh earlier but being able so a being able so sending sending the right message to the right person at the right time yeah and just caring about doing those things, I think, is going to be new for a lot of companies. Well, that's the fourth employee journey. Instead yeah. of reactive support, we're moving to deliberate care. Exactly. The way we do, the way we talk about our customers, and the words deliberate care. Yeah. Probably a thousand ways how to say that. that yeah. We're moving. Well, in. you know, I've uh, worked with a lot of customers back in my consulting days, and uh, I have to say, like American enterprise companies do care about their people. When you have a problem, a lot of times you will find companies, they deeply care about employees and they want to provide the help, support, and have the structures in place to support. So we don't have a problem with caring about employees, but if you ask them what do you do to make sure to get ahead of those problems, right? That's where like, wait a minute, right? So we can react to bad things that are happening, but what are you doing to prevent and get or get ahead of those things Mm -hmm. right so in some cases if it's safety Mm -hmm. right because Mm -hmm. it's such a material impact right because one incident or accident causes enormous financial pressure burden Mm -hmm. companies companies Mm -hmm. are super hypersensitive right and Mm -hmm. they're doing they go an extra mile to to do well on uh, with that regard but uh, outside of like this very common typical things a lot of times company are very reactive and uh, uh, I, I think I don't think that people who are in in the role of reacting have the tools and support and 
in methodology and the know-how on how to even do that. So mm-hmm. I think they probably have good intention, mm-hmm. but they're not trained and nor do they have the expectations to, to be very deliberate with managing those, those experiences, right? So they're really designed as, they're designed to be a responders. First, they're first responders, right? Mm-hmm. So when some, something bad happens, mm-hmm. how do we take care of it? How do we uh, minimize the impact of it? Mm-hmm. Unless it's something that 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 happens often and has tremendous like safety, right? Or cybersecurity, right? Mm-hmm. Those types of things, right? So companies learn the hard way that you gotta be proactive, but you step out outside of those things and you look at like smaller things that happen all the time. Mm-hmm. Companies really don't do anything about it. Well, it's hard. You can't do it without if you don't have the right skills, the right skills resources, and, and, platforms, and technology, technology, right? So for, think about cybersecurity, right? Right. Companies spend millions of dollars consulting companies, tools, all the data they collect, right? Um, fraud, machine learning, right? They, they're thinking of all kinds of scenarios mm. to, to minimize the impact. Um, so we know that if we pay attention and we try, we can do a better job. But uh, when it comes to employee experience, employee things, or how do I get my folks to step up and help me with my you know what I'm trying to do with a CEO. Um, a lot of times, there's no deliberate care, right? What happens is I just say this needs to happen, get it done. Yeah. So, so he- here we are, right? We're recapping season one, where we're saying, and, and by the way, it's kind of amazing to be able to have these conversations with you, like almost uh, I think it's every other night or you know a couple times a week, where we're just double clicking and unpacking, unpacking mm-hmm. because we're dealing with brilliance coming in from these amazing champions spent careers doing this we are learning a ton you as the ceo of prohabits you're exposed to all kinds of situations within organizations that are now beginning their journeys Mm -hmm. and they're moving forward so we understand that the pressure right to consumerize the employee experience where the employee emerges the primary driver right that's going to be key in order to think about the future of people initiatives where success is now moving to business outcomes focused Mm -hmm. the decisions are going to be data driven leading to communication that's going to become hyper personalized and the employee journey is going to become you know really focused on the deliberate care Mm -hmm. right deliberate care where we're converging the whole employee experience customer experience it's now the human experience Mm -hmm. right so what i think it would be really cool to think about next Right is what will enable that future out of people initiatives, and and I, and, and I think we've began to think about it in three buckets. There is the data bucket, mm-hmm. right? There is the behavior bucket or behavior science bucket, and then there is you know the technology that you need, or you know we're referring to it as digital engagement platform because obviously that's what we live and breathe every day. Pro habits as our platform, we want to create it so that it is going to enable the future of people initiatives so which one of those three do you want to kind of unpack first but i don't think we should do triple clicks we just do Mm -hmm. like a you know single to 1.5 click into each one well we talked about data so i think it's self-evident hopefully by now that uh, if you are going to be managing people initiatives at scale which means if it's an organization with let's say you know thousand ten thousand hundred thousand employees there's going to be um, major initiatives involving tens of thousands of people, small initiatives involving thousands of people, and tiny initiatives involving handful of people. 
Um, but how many companies have a list of all the initiatives that they have going on? How many companies have a list of uh, how well those initiatives are going? Who is mo- who needs to be mobilized? What are the outcomes? What are the data sets that need to support it? What metrics, business metrics we're changing, right? So it, it just start. these are table stakes. If you talk about any other industry, if I go to financial planning, sales planning, if I go to any other line of business, to quota attainment, right? You're gonna get into spreadsheets and data and metrics and goals and attainment and forecasts, right? Companies are super rigid around putting the data in support of those things. Right? So if we're thinking that people initiatives is a new function or a new muscle that corporations and enterprise needs to develop, then we have to figure out the data enabler for, for, for that process. Right? So in supply chain, we talk about um, in time and full, right? we have all kinds of metrics. So we need to think as seriously on the data side. Then um, we're talking about mobilizing the, the actors, the people, right? So how do I mobilize the people? If we're going to change from command and control into hyper-personalized and deliberate care, then I need to understand what levers I have in order to put my human resources to work the right way, right? And ideally to, put, to, to, to create an environment where they self-mobilize, right? Where they self-actuate, where they understand what's important, they understand where they fit in, they understand which behaviors and skills uh, they need to employ, and if they're short, then we can close the gap, right? So b- behavior science, whatever we want to call it, but the human element and understanding what makes, uh, what kind of um, levers uh, are at our disposal, what kind of tools we can employ to uh, have the people actually uh, do what they're supposed to do to make those initiatives successful, uh, super important. And that that's based on psychology, behavior science, you know, organizational development. So there's a ton of kind of the soft skills that need to come in place and need to be um, thought to be thought through, organized. Um, The methodology has to be created with this specific goal in mind. And lastly, we talk about the system, right? Um, the, uh, The engagement system. So how do we then use the data that we have use the levers that we have, right? So we know which buttons we need to push. We know how to communicate. and But then it has to happen sometime, right? So if I were to make you an offer, I have to put it down on paper. I have to call you, right? There is a medium. Uh, there's a channel that needs to be employed uh, for me to articulate that to you. And I need to do it in such a way where I know, have you listened to my message? What did you think of my message? What did you think of how did you respond to it? Um, Maybe I need to crowdsource something. So maybe it's important for you to see how other people on your team responded and interacted with this, right? So there is a gamification part of it. So the whole idea or the whole uh, concept of, of how do I then take that insight that I've delivered by analyzing the data? How do I um, then take all of the levers that I have and I figured out the plan, how to then execute on the plan, right? And that execution has both the engagement part where I reach out and touch somebody through interaction on the phone, iPad, whatever, Teams, uh, email, text message, whatever might be easier for you. But then there's the operational side to it, right? So this is something that I'll be doing um, hopefully year-round, right? I'll be doing across the enterprise. I'll be doing across multiple languages, warehouse workers versus salespeople, finance, right? So uh, putting all of those, you know, uh, having the operational, having the operational, 
know-how on how to actually uh, manage that and uh, improve on that and learn from that and that create a sustainable process where people come and go when I have a knowledge repository that's specific to my organization and my employee population so I can then build that repository, build that system to actually then uh, execute on execute on uh, on those initiatives. And get smarter. And get smarter, exactly. So the three pieces, we've got data, we've got the behavior science, right? And we've got the, we'll call it the digital engagement platform. Digital engagement platform. These are the three enables, enablers of the Future of People initiatives. And mm-hmm. of course, there's a double click, there's a triple click. In fact, you and I talk about this all the time. In order for this to be manifested, these are entire, an entire industry needs to be born. Right. This is a new way of thinking. Like if you, again, marketing world, how many agencies are there? Right? How many agencies have specialties and focus areas? Yeah. You know, from a behavior science. Now we we, we got to be careful sometimes. And this was a great uh, a quote by one of the guests when they said, "Hey, uh, you know, leaders don't want to hear about the amygdala, right? That there's this this little reaction sometimes in the com- business community from you know PhD kind of a, a deeper human science aspect. Hey, let's be careful not to drift away from our focus area, our business, but." Mm-hmm. When you converge business outcomes, when mm-hmm. you think practically from that perspective, uh, behavior science is is key as we know it is in marketing. So l- let's start to think ahead a bit, right? So like the season one, learn a ton, have amazing folks that are a part of this movement with us. Mm-hmm. Right? They're they're scratching their heads, saying, "What's next? How do we do this?" Right? Um, so how do we do this? And I think season two. And, and, and it will be similar to season one where every episode is a question because we're looking to go beyond. We're mm-hmm. looking to push the envelope to figure out what's next. And, uh, you know, how do we meet the pressure of the consumerization right, of the employee experience? One of the questions. But the one that I think be fun to start with, I want to hear, hear your, your view. We're still in the question of what functional area are we going to work with? Yeah. Who is the champion of this and this is where we began today's conversation which was a kind of the the ocean moment where we thought about one function but let's let's talk about each one for a minute yeah who are the likely suspects and what are maybe a little bit of the benefits right of each one and where did we arrive to that gave us a pause yeah well since i'm not a functional person a technical person i can't go super deep on this Right, so there are some usual suspects that live in HR and LNZ area. Mm-hmm. Again, that's out of my depth. Right. Um, but what we have found is, uh, if you talk to companies like Accenture, you know PwCs, and say, "Hey, we have a, we have an exciting offering for HR," mm-hmm. um, they're probably not going to be super excited. Or LNZ, right? So traditionally, these are the functions where budgets mm-hmm. are small. Mm-hmm. Um, and think about it. Like, if your budgets are small, what does that mean? Right. Right. Like, what's the perception of value for the for the nice uh, to have? Right. So, like, when somebody says, "Well, we don't have a lot of budget," or it's hard for us to find budget. That's right. Blah blah. What does that really mean? Right. So, I've been on the uh, services side trying to sell to those lines of businesses, and it's uh, the fact that the budgets are not there. Uh, is a red flag. I don't have the expertise. And my amygdala is not strong enough to mm-hmm. uh, to come up with answers, but uh, clearly there is an issue there, mm-hmm. right? 
Then we talk about, well, maybe it's IT. We talked about data. We talk about platforms. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about to some C-level uh, C IT leaders. Yes. Um, but, you know, ITs are not really attached to outcomes. Nor if you've been in a services world, you know, and even technology world, IT uh, usually are, you know, these are the blockers, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of time, uh, the very organization that's supposed to drive innovation is the organization that chokes down the innovation because there is nothing in it for them. If it goes well, business literally realizes all the benefits. If it doesn't go well, uh, IT is on the hook because they didn't implement it correctly. It, it may be in some cases. In other cases, I'll just say they're really busy. They have a lot going on. They're yeah. meeting the demands of the virtual potentially. Yeah. There's digital transformation taking place across all aspects of the organization. Yeah. And I think what you said before, like where do you focus? Yeah. Where, where do you focus your attention? Well, if business outcomes are important, which they are an organization, yeah. you focus on those areas that can enable for you to meet those yeah. business outcomes. And this ain't one of them, historically, up until now, hasn't been one of them. Yeah. Agreed. Then you have PMO, mm -hmm. right? So a lot of people are like, well, obviously it's PMO, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's the same idea. You have people initiatives. We already have, mm -hmm. you know, tens of people. We have all the systems, project management systems, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Then you ask them, okay, well, if you have all this robust PMO, why is your efficiency and effectiveness of your initiatives is not all that great, right? And that is because PMO is an oversight organization, right? They're not really concern about with business outcomes right so it's a governance oversight organization making sure that um the um the the, the process is followed mm -hmm. right it's like inspectors who come in and do your home inspections mm -hmm. they don't really care if you like living in your house right they're just uh, making sure that if something were to happen you know they've blessed it and you know here's the process and you follow the process and you know they're in good shape um, then who else do you have? Um, we talked about L&D. We talked about L&D again. I can't talk change, much about them. Change management. Yeah, folks. change management is an interesting one. So mm -hmm. I think you have innovation, mm -hmm. right? Um, I think innovation is going to be an important partner, right? Because at least these are the people with an open mind mm -hmm. and people who are, because they constantly have to think about business outcomes, mm -hmm. right? Because no company wants to innovate just for the sake of it, mm -hmm. for the heck of it. So. They, you know, so people in change management um, are very much mm -hmm. uh, uh, in a cross site, right? So mm -hmm. they're they're mm -hmm. definitely something that needs to be looked at. Mm -hmm. The problem is again, they're not, you know, they care about business outcomes in principle, mm -hmm. but they're not actually associated with the actual outcomes. They haven't been provided with the infrastructure, yeah. with the ability to have the, the correlation and yeah. co question of causality. And then change management is an interesting one. Um, I think, uh, so that leaves us with operations, mm -hmm. right? And at the end of the day, mm -hmm. I mean, if you roll up sales and operations or, you know, basically whatever makes, these are the people who find a way to make things work, mm -hmm. right? So when IT is not giving them the tools that they need, they spend the weekend and build something in Excel, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So um, if I were to run my company, I'd be looking at, at those folks because these people who, that's that's their world, business outcomes, mm -hmm. right? So if you live in operations, if you're talking to customers, you have the chops, you have the understanding, you have the discipline, you have the mentality of making sure that everything you do results in a business outcome. And the other that's interesting is, 
uh, is marketing. Let me introduce that one too. Yeah. Let me just hear myself rationalize through mm-hmm. that as well. Because it brings back, you know, the, as I was a contributor for Inc. and hundreds of interviews, the co-author of a book, Science of Story, and uh, our thesis, right, in that book. And a lot of it was the, where do stories come from? How do the chief storytellers, whether look at it as chief marketing officers how do they communicate mm-hmm. and uh, you know we said brand is a reflection of culture there was actually a quote by one of the Kellogg executives but I like that when you know a couple of days ago you were like brand is a reflection of culture uh, I see it differently yeah how do you how, how do you see it before I kind of jump back into the, the rest of this well I was taught and I agree with that that brand is uh, is a promise right so when you think about Volvo the brand stands for safety. When you talk about BMW, the brand's the, the promise is what is it? Performance machine, ultimate performance mm-hmm, machine. That's right. Right. Well, yeah. uh, you think about Toyota. You think about reliability. Right. So I don't really know whether the culture of Volvo versus General Motors versus Toyota versus Mercedes are any different. Right. So to me, brand is about what promise do I make to the consumer and then doing everything I do that's consumer facing to reinforce that promise and not breaking that promise. And and this is the interesting piece, because now we're looking at the people related challenges reaching a boiling point. And I think that as they scratch their head and and they say, okay, if brand is a reflection of its promise, just for a second, kind of taking that theme, Mm -hmm. you then ask, how does the customer uh, experience that promise. Yeah. Well, they experience it through the employees of the organization. Mm-hmm. And if the employees of the organizations are, you know, don't experience the culture, I think is a bit of a all-encompassing catchword. But if they don't experience the culture that helps them activate their behaviors in order for them to be able to deliver the promise to the customers, mm-hmm. then the organization fails because brand isn't a reflection of culture, but it's not here or there because we're in the in the in same zip codes. Yeah. Where where I want to go next is, or where my mind went next is to say, okay, when we launched years ago, Prohabits was this idea that when you have a purpose and values and leadership behaviors, and when you're trying to create a culture, you create a lot of these moments, right? Moments. The executives, keynotes, speakers come in. We worked with Simon Sinek, Jennifer Brown. Lots of speakers over the years. Yeah. And we asked the question of what happens the day after. Right? What happens the day after these inspiring events? And again, as a you know, co-founder of, of an agency, like I left that thinking aside. I, I wasn't converging the thoughts. I just stayed with what happens the day after these moments. Mm-hmm. Uh, but recently, in, in conclusion of the season, thinking about consumerization, I, I began to ask the question of, you know, what's the role of the CMO? for internal audiences or in other words when they think about their world of being a storyteller is it as simple as saying let's add a new audience right the audience externally there are audiences it's not one audience there are current customers past customers they're they're divided into segments locations and so on why don't you think about a new audience and then you said well marketing isn't business outcomes right they are also in the world of a bit of the leading indicators mm-hmm. right remind me kind of how you 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 wanted the positioning that marketing is also one step removed from the outcome yeah well uh, we talked about how my, my marketing had to change to be more outcome driven 
to be able to demonstrate their effectiveness based on sales number instead of the leading indicators. Yep. But then at the end of the day, if you talk to marketing executives and marketing functions, they don't sell, right? So even though they'll go in and do their MMM model and they say, we need to do this and spend more money on TV here and you know more of this there and blah, blah, blah. At the end of the day, um, uh, they, don't, they don't control the sales process, completely different function. So they also have plausible deniability and say, hey, we did what we we're supposed to be doing but salespeople screwed it up or something else happened, mm -hmm. right? So, uh, but but what's interesting is, because we talked about who in an organization has the mindset and would be able to, um, to actually run a program like this. And it makes sense that it's a marketer, right? Because they, they understand the data part, they understand the behavior part, they understand the engagement part. Like they live in this world, they've lived, the digital marketing people have lived in this for 20 years. What's missing is the business outcome ownership, right? And I was thinking about how, you know, 20, 30 years ago, Microsoft Excel came in, right? So Excel comes in, the tool comes in, you have a bunch of people who do all the finance on a piece of paper, and now they need an Excel. Well, they can't run Excel, they need to install Excel, they need to apply service packs, right? So IT then um, becomes an enabler, right? So IT has the, they know how to use Excel, they know how to install Excel, they know everything there is about Excel, they just don't know how to use Excel to create an income statement, right? Similar with, with marketing, right? Marketing has understanding of the technology, they have all of the qualifications to do this, they just don't know how to improve turnover because they don't understand the business side of it. So similar to how IT became an enabler of finance, right? And now if you look at finance, you have ERP system, you have all the systems. IT is integral part of finance. IT is integral part of sales. IT is integral part of PMO, right? Uh, now we have maybe potentially marketing is an enabler of people initiatives, right? Is there a room to rethink about role of marketing organization Instead of saying marketing is a 100% external function, marketing only services the consumers, right? Is there a room to say, hey, if we have these people with this amazing skill sets who gets the data, who get the behavior science, and who understand the levers, and who understand the channel and the engagement side and the operational side, right? Because they run campaigns, they pivot often, they do the A-B testing, they do all the things uh, that are necessary to... Uh, to impact your 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 intended audience, right? They have the they have the know-how, so I don't know if they're able to drive those processes, those initiatives. But they would they potentially there is a room for them to become the enabler, right? So in this in this new world, whoever owns the outcome, that extended team has the IT resource and a marketing resource, right? And I think of a skill set, not necessarily organizationally, but that sort of skill set on the team, right? It, it's kind of like, you know, currently they look at the whatever product or service the company offers. They look at the operational folks and mm -hmm. they talk about what are we releasing? You know, what is, what is our roadmap? If it's a product or services, how are we different? How are we positioning? So they yeah. rely on them and those are the people that then deliver yeah. on, on the promise. Um, so the question now is, will they look at the CHRO 
and say, okay, what are the business outcomes? How are we thinking about these audience? What are we trying to accomplish? I think in season two, there's an opportunity to really explore this, whether companies leave a lot on the table by not tapping into the wealth of, of potential value sitting in their marketing organization and figuring out how to uh, put that to work, not only externally, but also internally. And I think as we explore this, uh, I think there's going to be a lot of aha and gotchas and a lot of aha moments on, on figuring out how to use this existing resource instead of building out a completely you know, new set of skill sets and completely new set of organizational departments. The question is, do you already have all the pieces in place? Mm. Right? Maybe there is a little bit of uh, rewiring that needs to happen. Mm -hmm. Mind change needs to happen. Because every time you're trying to do something that requires, you know, like I can't go and practice law. Like it's a skill set that takes years. You know, it's not just knowledge. I can read all the law books. Right, oh, but it's a skill set sure. that takes years to hone. It's a capability right? also, not of one person, but lots of exactly. people who writes content, who does the images. Exactly. But mo most importantly, you start yeah. at the strategic level, who is going to create the exactly. roadmap for us. And you know, about the same, you know, uh, uh, about a week prior to you and I having that discussion, one of the guests sent me a link to, to an article that talked about um, Linda, Linda Buff, the CMO of GE, I actually had the opportunity to interview her about six or seven years ago for Inc. And uh, she took on the role of also being the vice president of learning and culture, right? In addition to being yeah. the CMO. And this is a little excerpt that I think is super beneficial. As the vice president of learning and culture, Buff will lead learning and development for the company's 300,000 employees worldwide. She also will assume responsibility for um actually that's not as relevant so my 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 point is there is already signals that are starting yeah. to emerge that marketing can play a critical role in the people yes. initiatives but i think the challenge is that the rest of the enterprise does not understand what those guys do and where they where else they can help out so we're seeing uh strong relationship marketing in it strong relationship marketing in sales uh, and that's it. So I think there is a huge opportunities for companies, right, in terms of the skill set. So A, we have to figure out, hopefully in season two, we'll get closer as to who should own it, right? So we rattled off a couple of Atlanta businesses. Mm -hmm. um, me being the CEO roles and running organizations, um, I'd be more comfortable if ops owned it because at the end of the day, ops has to deliver something every day. Right, mm -hmm. they they mm -hmm. can't they can't survive activity based. We talked about that. Ops is all outcome based, mm -hmm. right? So uh, I'd feel more comfortable that it will get done if it sits in ops. But um, I'm not a thought leader in the space. Would be interesting to see. And number two is once we figure out who owns it and who drives it, um, what that ideal makeup of the team is. So we talked about cross functional. That seems to be table stakes at this point. That's been validated through. God knows how many conversations. So the idea that you know we need the data cross-functional across multiple phases and multiple j steps of the employee experience that makes perfect sense. But then, where does marketing come in? And, and let's remember the four pillars of people initiatives, right? If we're moving toward a world w where its success is measured by business outcomes, right? Marketing check, 
Like they live in, they, they understand how to become the right. at least the leading indicator to that. Exactly. The decisions are data driven. Check. Again, mm-hmm. marketing folks are are data driven to to the core. Uh, communication is hyper personalized. Mm-hmm. Who knows more about personalization exactly. or meeting the pressure of consumerization yeah. than them? And the last, thinking about the employee journey with deliberate care. Yeah. Right, as they do with customer customer journey, customer journey exactly. and they have that understanding. Exactly. So now when we look at moving away from the three four pillars to the three enablers and we say, Okay, you know, understanding the data, having the behavior science, the last is is uh, the platform and I think there's the the you know, selfless plug that, that mm-hmm. we're we're trying desperately to figure out what that future brings so that we can meet them in time to offer them the platform exactly. that is going to be able to accomplish what we see as yeah. the future of people initiatives. Mm-hmm. Um, y- you know, where I'm also curious in, in season two, could we find some organizations? So we know they're champions, right? Okay, cool. We're meeting them and we, we've met some of them and, and you know, Thank God there's so many of them mm-hmm. that this isn't just going to be, you know, one, one person per every hundred companies. There, there's probably a number of champions in every organization that sees that it's time to start to manifest something new. But now, how can we get them to mobilize the stakeholders that are cross-functional, bring them together and ask some of these questions? Very mm-hmm. pointed questions. How do we meet the pressure to consumerize the employee experience? How do we move toward those four pillars of future people initiatives Mm -hmm. and then come back with this is what happened right because all the most progressive are asking these questions today that is the sign of being progressive Mm -hmm. it's going to be fun fun to find out where this goes season two looking forward to it (laughs) what uh what didn't like that that's our discussion saturday right did we capture it all I mean, what is what does that conversation look like when they bring together the stakeholders? What do they? How do they conduct that conversation? Where do they begin? I mean, to to me, it seems like, you know, business outcomes. Step one: yeah. Who are the people that should come together in order to yeah. think about how to get you know run the people initiatives where the the employee is the is the driver yeah. in order for us to meet the the business outcomes that are most important in our organization, getting out of the nice-to-haves. Critical changes that can help us meet those business outcomes. Would you formulate it differently? No. I think um, our listeners and viewers, what's in it for them? Why should they keep watching your podcasts and kind of keep learning? Uh, I would say that in phase one, we started in or in season one, we went from, we had like an idea and a gut feeling that there is an opportunity and the goal was let's just crowdsource this thought leadership and figure out where the opportunity is yeah um this podcast you know is kind of the stream of consciousness we just try to maybe come up with the best way to bullet point some of the things we've learned i think we owe it to the listeners and viewers to put it on the page and say hey this is the distilled you know three minute five minute investment of your time to take a look at this mm-hmm. And what will probably make sense to me is we do some sort of validation season two and say, hey, does this um, does this um, summarization make sense? But then use that summarization as a framework, uh, and hopefully we're directionally well oriented with uh, how we're you know how we've synthesized these ideas, and then um, start having a lot more targeted and focused discussions. For sure, right? So like, how do you 
you know, we know that mobilizing stakeholders is important, right? Being data-driven is important. Uh, psychological, cultural factors are, what are those cultural factors? What should you be thinking? For sure. What are the levers that are at your disposal, right? So now, um, what we probably want to do is articulate the framework and now go a little bit deeper and keep, keep extending the framework if there's gaps, but then provide the next level of insight, next level of detail so mm-hmm. that the listener can say, hey, cultural, what does that mean? Right. You know, economic, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. You know, is it just salary? What does that mean? Mm-hmm. Right. And what kind of initiatives and at which phase of employee journey these factors change? Mm-hmm. Right. So all of a sudden now this will create this whole like a like broad and, and deep um, framework mm-hmm. for how to think like, you know, for and, you know, it's something that will help you build a business case if you're trying to. You know, get financing. You know, you're saying, "Hey, I need to do this project. I need this." I don't think that's an if. I think a business case is exactly yeah. what every one of our champions should be focused on. Yeah. And if they're not focusing on it, they're not. It's not serious. This is yeah. not something they're going to take on in order yeah. to be able to create. But the our change. goal is to get it to the point where we have a formal methodology and framework and reference, right? Where we can keep synthesizing this stuff. Where now, folks, instead of saying, hey, this is my gut feeling, we need to do X, Y, and Z, we could say, hey, here's the thought leaders from Pepsi, from Coke, from Maersk, from all these amazing companies. And by the way, this is who they are. This is how they've done it. You know, we have a podcast. Maybe we'll have several, you know, thought leaders in the space so that as people are trying to figure out how can they actually put this, you know, all these conversations to work, they'll have specific and very usable and relevant, you know, insight on how to actually put all the stuff to work and make it actionable on their end. Yeah. And it's not for the faint of hearts. This is not going to be, you know, an easy, it's not a program. You're, you're literally creating a new capability inside yeah. the organization yeah. that is cross-functional in nature that's going to move the needle on business outcomes. Y- you know we're about to publish the episode with the global change management leader at Pepsi. Yeah. And we talked about the cultural implications. I mean, these are massive implications for the organization. Yeah. If you're in a highly competitive market, this could be the differentiator. This could be a way for you to meet the innovation that's someone outstripping you. Stay in yeah. the cutting edge. There's so many strategic implications for what this could do yeah um, and what's interesting is um, at least in my world there's empirical evidence that it's possible uh, for example I work with one of the largest CPG companies in the world mm-hmm. and uh, when I engaged with them they could not produce the list of all of the campaigns that they're running worldwide right so if you say how much do you spend on this brand versus this brand which you know um, which type of channel, Snapchat versus YouTube, is more impactful for this or that? They couldn't answer. Individual campaign managers did, right? Uh, maybe country managers did for certain brand. But as a chief digital officer, chief marketing officer, if I wanted to understand high level and managing a large budget, um, what works, what doesn't work, what should I be doing a year from now, uh, who is the right person for to run this particular, they couldn't do it, right? And then three, four years went by, they're able to get the metrics at the lowest level. They're able to learn, right? So if one campaign manager does something really cool, two, three weeks later, that knowledge bubbles up, right? Because they have an integrated system that keeps track of all of the the campaigns and objectives and tactics, right? And they're able to learn from that system. And then if I do something cool in France, you know, three months later, we could do replicate and adapt and hyper-personalize it now to U.S. 
and then go to Brazil, and then go to Morocco, right? So I've seen this done in digital marketing space, so I know it's possible. There's a will, there's way, right? So I guess the question, you know, if we can get the will mobilized, if we get people excited um, that, you know, this makes sense and the outcomes are there, um, then, you know, then the technology and all other stuff is going to be secondary. I, I'm super excited and I'm super positive that this can be done. And, and the timing is also, uh, you know, I don't know how much you can talk about. I, I know you have a relationship with Microsoft. Yeah. And you've had a relationship with Microsoft for many years. And you're one of the, you know, if not the expert in, in Power, Power BI w- worldwide. But y- you see the technology is now giving this capability, the ability to... Yeah you know, move faster, more economical, l- lower threshold in terms of what implementation looks like. Yeah. And this is pretty recent over the last... Well, so it started with the cloud. Um, not to get too technical, but we went, you know, the cloud has gone through its own evolution, right? Um, and we went through what's called platform as a service to what's now called self software as a service, right? So now we're entering the world where before... You know, a customer wanted to implement an SAP system. Uh, a billion-dollar, multi-billion-dollar company would be looking at hundreds of millions, if not billions, of dollars to implement it. Then they would be spending billions and millions of dollars uh, over years, potentially, before they could realize a single business benefit. Now we're in a world where I can spin up a capability in architecture that will um, work for a company with one person or work with a company with a million people, like Walmart and that the architecture doesn't have to significantly change. And I'm, I'm able to self-finance, right? So I'm able to start small, find opportunity, low-hanging fruit, uh, provide business value, use that success to then fuel and finance the rest of the you know, additional investment in the technology. So that's what technologies like Power BI, companies like Microsoft are enabling. Um, we'll cut that out, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, ability to to deploy a, a piece of technology in days or hours uh, versus traditional, you know, brick and mortar world where it was months uh, and most likely years. Ability to realize business value very quickly. Um, ability to keep the data secure in your environment and leverage both the cloud um, benefits and all of the governance and security constraints that put together by your security teams. Like all of these things are now possible. Microsoft is one of the leaders in this space. Again, I just want to be fair, similar technologies exist on with other providers, right? Um, but but they, you know, that's that's the, bi- the biggest, the biggest, one of the why now. Why now is because finally it's possible, right? For a license for a handful of people who are going to be administering a system, you're now able to stand up capabilities that process massive amounts of data and enable you to analyze uh, data at a very low level of granularity and be able to kind of match the business outcomes with that employee data, right? And at a very, very low cost of infrastructure cost. So that's something that we have not been able to do, let's say, five, ten years ago, even three years ago with, with some regard. Thank you.